Everyone fights. We all disagree, at least in our most secure relationships. Walking on eggshells isn't sustainable, which is why, generally speaking, relationships that require it, they tend to end. As human beings, we crave the ability to be individuals and be accepted as who we are within all of our relationships. And periodically, that desire causes us to disagree or to have a fight, which then requires us to make up. I'm Darcy Sterling, and this is We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling. This podcast focuses on dating and relationships, but what I want to make clear is that just about everything we cover is applicable to every relationship you have. The same relationship skills and tools that make intimate relationships thrive are the same skills and tools you'll use professionally and platonically. The concepts are universal. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Today, making up. Making up after a fight is one of the most important relationship skills I teach, and it is a topic that is rarely discussed. Now, I get it. It's not sexy. It usually involves acknowledging that you made a mistake, and it's even harder when you don't think you made a mistake. I have been a practicing therapist for 27 years now, and I can tell you that I have never met a client who, day one, knew how to properly make up after a fight. It's why so often my clients come to me riddled with resentment because a wound that may have been unintentionally inflicted was never properly addressed. If it was addressed at all, it was done in a superficial way, an obligatory sentence or two that someone offered more to get past the disagreement than for any other reason. What results are half-assed apologies that can leave us with grudges or resentments. Sometimes we judge ourselves for those feelings because, I mean, after all, we did get an apology. Why are we not okay? Why are we not over it? There's a difference between an apology and a repair. A repair, which is the clinical term that therapists use, is what I want to discuss today. An apology happens to shut a conversation down. A repair intends to do just the opposite. It opens a conversation up. It's the act of going back to a moment of rupture. A repair involves hearing how you made the other person feel in detail using active listening skills. When you do this, you find something about the other person's experience that makes sense to you, and then you tell them why their feelings make sense to you. It's the difference between having a skinned knee and instead of like putting a Band-Aid right over the dirty wound, you choose to clean the wound out first before covering it with the Band-Aid so it doesn't get infected down the road. The infection down the road is the resentment that happens when it's not done right. Now for me and for the clients that I've worked with over the years, the most important part of the repair is understanding that blame has nothing to do with getting it done right. It's not about eating humble pie or groveling or declaring that you suck while the other person was totally in the right. That's actually the kind of thinking that keeps people from doing it right. It's just about allowing the other person to share their experience with you. You invite them to tell you how they felt. And let me tell you, that is not easy. For me, hearing the details of how I hurt someone, it is very uncomfortable. I can't help but hold myself up to a standard that's higher than what I hold others up to. I mean, I'm a therapist. I've studied this. It is my life's work, and I should know better. 
but I am painfully human and I unintentionally hurt people all the time. So how do you do this? This thing called repair. And if hearing how you hurt the other person will be hurtful or uncomfortable for you to hear, how do you tolerate it? I am going to tell you how right after these messages. I'm just kidding. We don't have any sponsors yet. Okay. So how do you do this thing called repair like a pro? You start by keeping the focus very narrow because the more issues that you bring into the disagreement, the more things you have to close by the end of it. So what I'm suggesting is that if for no other reason than just so your work is easier, set yourself up for success by keeping the conversation very narrow and focused to one thing. Think of the agenda as needing to be as narrow as a laser beam versus wide like a spotlight. It'll just be so much easier. The other person's not going to get flooded with emotion. We call that kitchen sink fighting. When in the throes of fixing something in the here and now, we bring up shit from the past or ancillary things. So you want the topic to be very, very narrow. And then there are four steps. So the first step is that you must wait to be cooled off, both of you. And by cooled off, I mean thinking about your emotional discomfort as like a thermometer that's on a scale ranging from zero, which is neutral on discomfort. There's no discomfort whatsoever, to 10, which is the most discomfort you can imagine feeling. I want you to have this conversation when the two of you are below a three. When you're dysregulated, and upset, a part of your brain gets activated called your amygdala. And when you're in your amygdala, you cannot think strategically. You cannot keep your long-term goals in mind as you roll through the current situation that you're in. The amygdala does one thing. It keeps you alive, and it does it by choosing three options. It doesn't do fill-in-the-blank. It doesn't do short essays. It literally can choose between three things. Fight flight, or freeze. You can't think your way through when you're in your amygdala, which is why I want you below a three on a zero to 10 discomfort scale. Step two, schedule a time to talk so that nobody is blindsided. Giving somebody the ability to choose when they discuss a topic is like you've just reduced the challenge by 25% person feels like they have agency, they feel like they got a vote, they don't feel like they've been bulldozed or ambushed. It's really, really important to give people the right to choose when they want to have a conversation. So you're going to schedule a time to talk when both of you are ready. I like to do it during daylight hours. I think that for most of us, we're more tolerant during the day. We have more energy during the day. We're less likely to be exhausted from our day. And I also want to make sure that you do this when you are completely sober, both of you. You can't try and repair if you've had anything in you, any substances. So no alcohol, zero, and no drugs. That's step two. Now, step three, someone talks first while the other person actively listens and engages in this thing I call or we call mirroring. Mirroring is a way of engaging in active listening that slows the conversation down. And in slowing the conversation down, it causes both people's nervous systems to relax 
it allows you to be in tandem with the person you're speaking to rather than being in your head, imagining what you're going to say in response to what they're saying. And here's how it goes. You're the listener. They're the talker. Every couple of sentences, every two or three sentences that they say, you say, so what you're saying to me, and you can signal with your hand, if you're not watching this, if this is just audio only, I've like brought my hand up to my face for a second, which signals to the other person that I'm about to speak without creating another interruption, which could feel like a rupture again. We're not trying to complicate this. I like to hold my hand up and say, so what I hear you saying is that when I ran out the door and you were still talking to me, it made you feel X, Y, Z, right? And you say that back to the person every few sentences to make sure that you heard them right and that you're understanding what they mean to be communicating. Because in communication so often, we speak in fragments with one another. So the speaker doesn't even always know if they're expressing themselves in full sentences and fully providing context to what it is they're trying to communicate. So when you mirror back to them, you're essentially boomeranging right back to them what you heard them say. And if they left out some words, they have an opportunity to fill in those gaps. And again, once you do that, you signal to their nervous system that you're not here to debate. You're not here to win. You're not here to rush through what the experience was like for them, their nervous system is going to calm down. And believe it or not, that's going to calm your nervous system down. Because part of the reason that we talk on top of each other is because we're not sure what to say. And I'm giving you a roadmap of what to say. You just repeat back what you heard the other person say. Now, it's really important that when you repeat it back, you not repeat it back with any commentary. I like to say you're paraphrasing, but really... My wife, the couples therapist, who's an expert at this, tells me that it's not about paraphrasing because paraphrasing is literally putting someone else's thoughts into your own words. The correct way of doing it is to literally give them back almost exactly what you heard them say. When we start replacing their words for our words, we can get into some trouble. So avoid that. And then at the end of that, you ask, is, is that right? And then the person either says, yeah, that's right, or no, that's wrong. Now, if they say it's right, what I want you to do then is I want you to tell them, okay, please continue, or okay, got it. It's more about looking like you're ready for them to continue than anything else. If you got it wrong, you have to ask them to rephrase what they said, because presuming that you heard what came out of their mouth and you don't have an auditory problem... You need them to rephrase it because you didn't understand what they meant. So simply saying, I say simply, because it is simple. But until you have this language, this is impossible. It's like climbing Mount Everest. So saying to them, would you mind rephrasing that? Or okay, could you rephrase that? And looking earnest, like you really want to understand what they're saying. And then the person rephrases it. And then you volley it back to them. And you do that until the person is done talking. Now, when I first teach this to clients, some of them become concerned that this is never going to end, that you're basically opening up 
a shit storm that is never going to end. And I'm telling you, everybody, including myself, when I start first started using this tool, is generally surprised by how it does just the opposite. It's quite counterintuitive. It's going to close it up faster. It's not going to take any longer because now the person's not having side fights with you because you're debating things with them. You're not debating. You are simply a container and you're volleying back everything you hear them say. That's that's what you're doing. You're not interrupting. You're not debating. You are being mindful of your body language because most of what gets communicated in conversations has to do with what we look like. Are our eyes open and looking curious or are they squinting like we think you're full of shit? Are your arms crossed or do you look open? Do you look pin straight in your chair or are you kind of leaning in because you're curious and you're open? Your body language will communicate so much of your attitude in this conversation. And let me just back up a second and say that what I like to do at the top of a repair is to say, I asked you to have this conversation with me because I want to fix it. I know things got off the rails in the conversation. I want to fix what happened between us. Saying that at the top immediately causes the other person to relax a little because now they don't feel like they're going to be in a debate with somebody else. And it tells them your intention. Your intention is really important to calming everything down. I cannot underscore enough how important it is to just keep things calm. So you're not interrupting. You're not debating. Your body language is mindful. You're aware of it. I don't want you looking too uptight. I want you looking casual. I want you to sit casually. If that means sitting cross-legged, sit cross-legged. If that means like leaning on one arm, lean on one arm. Do something that doesn't make you look closed off and defensive because so much of how your words are received has to do with your body and your eyes and your tone. So make sure that your tone is even and is communicating compassion. You want your tone to communicate compassion, or at the very least, be pretty neutral. I prefer that it communicate compassion because sometimes, and if you go back to the how to fight properly episode, you'll hear me say that a neutral tone can be received robotically, which communicates to other people that they could be in danger. So a robotic voice, if you just hear a robotic voice and you can imagine how this is not going to sound the same way that this sounds. And here I'm just using a couple, a, a little bit of variety in the melody that I'm using. And you want to communicate a little bit of melody in your voice, which communicates compassion. You definitely do not want to roll your eyes. You want to control yourself from rolling your eyes. You want to control yourself from making sighs or making any sounds that can sound like you're exasperated. And if you accidentally leak one out, just acknowledge it. Just say, hey, I was just breathing. If that sounded fucked up, I didn't mean that too. Let the person know. Calling yourself out, by the way, acknowledging that you just did something that could be read inaccurately goes a long way. When the person talking is done, then you move to 
the validation part. Validating is when we tell the person that what they're saying makes sense to us, even if we don't agree with them. And I got to tell you, so often we don't. It's not about seeing it identically. It's not about being symbiotic with the person. It's about showing the person that you have the capacity to put yourself into their shoes and find something about what they said that makes sense to you. So as you're mirroring, you're mindful of remaining aware that the next step is validating. So when they say something that makes sense to you, hang on to it because you're going to use it now. Validating explains to the person why what they're saying makes sense to you. It goes like this. Here's the sentence stem that you're going to use. Well, it makes sense to me that you felt cut off when I ran right out the door while you were still talking because you were still talking and that made you feel not listened to, disregarded, maybe disrespected. Whatever the person said as they're feeling, that's what you're going to put in to the sentence. It makes sense to me that you felt insert their feeling here because tell them why it makes sense to you. You only have to do that about one or two things with the person says, and then you're going to see such a difference in their capacity to be there for you and to hear your side of the situation, which is when you switch roles. So when you're done, you're going to ask the person to hear your perspective and you're going to ask them so here we have a decision point. Ideally, the person knows how to do this also, but so often with my clients, because I only work with individuals, I do not do couples counseling. So often with my clients, they are the subject expert in how to do this and their partners are not in therapy. So I generally do not guide my clients to expect the person that they're repairing with to know how to switch roles. But at least the person has de-escalated enough that they can hear your perspective. And I'm going to tell you in two seconds what that looks like from your perspective. Because the speaker, when the speaker is you, i.e. one of my clients, I expect you to follow the rules of good communication. And I'm going to go through that with you in just a second. So now that you have the basic framework of how to go through the motions of a repair, I want to give you some rookie mistakes to avoid making, particularly when you're the one who's talking. Do not use the word you. When you use the word you, the person immediately braces in defensiveness. They brace for it and they're prepared to respond defensively. So I want you to speak in I statements. I want you to speak from your perspective. Try to avoid describing the other person. Just describe how it was for you. I want you to avoid speaking about facts because facts are very debatable. So often when people have a disagreement and they try to repair, they'll go right into, well, here's what happened, X, Y, Z. I don't want you to do that. I want you to talk about your feelings because your feelings actually aren't debatable. Every feeling in the world is valid. 
It's what you do in response to the feeling that can be inappropriate, but your feelings are valid. So stick with feeling words. Do not make accusations or describe the other person. So do not do things like, I mean, obviously I knew you were in a big rush going out the door. No, don't don't do that because the person may not have been in a rush. The person may have just been preoccupied with something and not heard you as they were walking out the door. And maybe that's how it happened. And now if you say to them, I know that you're always in a rush during the day when you're going out the door to go to work. Now you've got a secondary thing to fight about. I don't want you describing the other person. I just want you to describe what it was like for you. Well, I was looking forward. I actually was following you out the door because I wanted to say goodbye and remind you of a few things to do for yourself. And I felt cut off. I felt disregarded. I felt like a burden and uncared about. That's what I want you to say. And I don't want you to assume that you know what the other person's intentions were. Focus on yourself. Here are rookie goals that I want you to aim for. I want you to speak in I statements, as I said. Speak about yourself. I want you to discuss your feelings whenever possible in place of facts, again, because they're not debatable. And I want you to try and keep your voice calm, keep your volume modulated, and keep the intensity out of your voice. Here are some behaviors that create a shitstorm yelling, cursing, name calling characterizing the other person, even if you think it's positive. I know you care so much about your work and you're so mindful about how, how you show up for work, but you can't just run out the door and leave me hanging. No, don't characterize the other person, even if it's positive, because the other person had a very different experience. Do not make threats, even if they're somewhat veiled. I would argue, especially if they're somewhat veiled. I actually prefer direct threats to veiled threats because they become debatable as well. Do not threaten the relationship. Do not question the relationship in the throes of a repair. That is not the time or the place. And that is just going to weaken the relationship. It's going to weaken the fabric between you. Never throw things. Never break things. Never put your hands on another person when you're upset. Never abruptly leave. Do not attempt a repair in front of or within earshot of other people. Repairs always have to be done privately, and they shouldn't be done in a public space either because it's a vulnerable thing, and people are self-conscious about who's around them, as they should be. Do not bring up the past or things that are unrelated to this disagreement. So now we have gone through the four steps to the repair the rookie mistakes that I want you to avoid, the rookie goals I want you to aim for, and the list of behaviors that will result in a shitstorm if you engage in them. Now I wanna debunk some myths around making up. Myth number one, it's not necessary to have a conversation about an argument if we're both able to get back to normal. That is probably the most common response I get to people when I ask them, do you think this is something that you should address? Do you think that this is something that you need to have a conversation about? Almost always when there's, we call it resistance in therapy, when there's resistance to repairing, the reason is, is because the partners or the two people 
both have a propensity to let it roll off their back and they just want to slide right back into their relationship. And I'm I'm going to go back to the skin knee analogy here, that doing this is like placing that Band-Aid over the cut without cleaning it first. Are you going to get some healing? Yeah, but it's going to be superficial and you've probably got an infection coming down the road. That is what a grudge or a resentment is. It is an issue that never got resolved or an issue that got resolved in a half-assed way. Here's another myth. Apologizing means admitting fault. Apologizing does not mean that you're admitting fault. You don't admit fault when you validate somebody else's perspective. Apologizing is just about acknowledging the impact that your actions had or inactions had on the other person. It's not about admitting or finding fault. In fact, I don't want either one of you finding fault with the other, which brings me to the next myth, which is making up is all about one person winning and another person losing. It's about explaining to the other person the extent to which they were an asshole. That is so wrong. That's a capital W of the wrong. In healthy relationships, both partners win in a disagreement. They come out feeling heard, better understood, and the relationship actually feels more secure when it's done right. And I would argue even a sloppy repair that follows this format is going to make you guys feel better than you've ever felt before trying to make up. Myth number four, I need to wait for my hurt feelings or angry feelings to pass before I can make up. I can't do it if I'm still pissed off or hurt. Listen, making up is more of a decision than it is a response to a shift in your feelings or suddenly finding yourself bursting or having feelings of forgiveness. In relationships, the most important thing is creating and maintaining safety and security for the people that are in that relationship. The longer you require your partner to sit on ice waiting to resolve an issue because your emotions have to regulate or you're waiting for this magical feeling to happen inside of you so that you can then address and repair from the the rupture, that is a recipe for disaster. The longer you require your partner to sit on ice waiting to resolve an issue, the more strain you put on the fabric of that relationship, I would argue. Not even I would argue. This is a fact. This has all been researched and this is all rooted in fact. Can you wait hours or days? Of course. Should you wait weeks? Here's what I'll say. Waiting weeks is usually the result of one of two things. Either the partner holding out is being punitive and they're punishing the other for the wrongdoing, which I consider to be incredibly destructive and inappropriate, or option two, the hurt partner doesn't have the ability to reach their emotional equilibrium in a reasonable time frame, meaning they're not able to get below a three on a discomfort scale for a variety of reasons, which can be too complicated for me to go into. Either way, if this describes you, I recommend addressing it in individual therapy, ideally a type of therapy called DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, because one of the things that DBT does is it teaches us how to manage our emotions 
and how to use tools to show up smoothly in our relationships and how to more quickly reach our emotional equilibrium. And that is essential. That is essential for every relationship you're in. And you know this. And how I know you know this is because you would never pull the shit at work that you pull personally. You would never do it. I would never do it. I would just never do it. So we know the settings where we can get away with it. And we know the settings where we can't get away with it. We can get away with it in the first space, which is home and domestic life and our intimate relationships. We would never act this way at work. So it's imperative to know how to manage your emotions so that you can show up at home and in your intimate relationships and your personal relationships at least as well as you do professionally. Bottom line is you do not need to wait for your feelings to resolve before repairing. The repair itself will facilitate a tremendous amount of the healing that you're looking for. You don't need to do it all by yourself. Let the strength of the relationship help in the healing by leaning into the repair. Give a repair a chance to do the healing so that you can resolve your feelings. Don't expect it to happen in the opposite order. You don't just sit and mull over your feelings, especially if you're somebody who broods and expect it to be resolved in a reasonable time frame. Adults have to manage their emotions in a reasonable time frame, and we have to reconnect when we've ruptured or when we've disconnected from the people we love. Okay, next myth. Things can't go back to normal right after making up. I'm being insincere if I try to act normal. Most fights don't warrant a cooling off period. Because I want you to remember that the longer you act withdrawn, the more you strain your relationship. And I started to touch on this a second ago. The hallmark of adulthood is the ability to feel one way and act in accordance with our long-term goals. Which is why I say that after a repair, go back to normal. Follow through with whatever plans you had, unless it's a huge relationship-altering fight. Your ability to bounce back after a fight says more about your emotional resilience and your emotional intelligence and your emotional health than it does about your relationship or your partner. That's a real important one. I want you to remember that. Last myth. If I'm not perfect at repairing, it'll blow up all over again. And who wants that? Well, don't I know that that's like the second most common fear? That's the second most common reason people don't initiate a repair. Because they're like, I just got out of trouble. Things are seemingly warming up between us. I am not going back in there. Again, skin knee analogy. You got to go back to that. You're essentially hoping that there's not an infection and you're not being proactive. A sloppy repair following these steps will be far more effective than trying to just hope it doesn't blow up again. Your partner is not going to forget that this happened. The person you love is not going to forget that this happened. Nobody here has amnesia. So if you think about it logically in this moment, obviously the person is still going to be left with their feelings. You might as well address it before they fester. I understand being afraid of doing this, but I want you to try this on a low stakes argument 
at some point in the near future so that you can begin to amount the evidence that you can do this and that this doesn't result in shit just blowing up. It actually resolves in you feeling closer by the end of it. Well, that was a deep dive and it was intentional because whenever possible, I want to make sure not to just tell you what you should do, but to actually teach you what you should do. I took the liberty of asking ChatGPT for the most common questions people have about making up after fights. And you know what? The humans are still winning because I covered them all. However, since you are undoubtedly smarter than AI, it is very possible that this brought up questions for you that I did not cover. If so, please email them to me at darcy at askdrdarcy.com, and I will be happy to answer in a future episode. And with that, my friend, I bid you goodbye. We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling is a Sterling Standard production. This episode was produced by Darcy Sterling with editorial support from Vicki Vergolina. Editing by Bart Miguel and my beautiful wife, Stephanie Sterling. Our theme music is by Trendy Music. Special thanks to Amanda Cristiani and Preston Smith. If you like today's show, please follow us by searching We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you love today's monologue, I mean show, please leave a rating. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode packed with relationship and dating hacks you won't get anywhere else, at least not by somebody with my amount of student loan debt. Bye.